0: Episode 152, John Gallagher, founder and CEO of Growing Champions, LLC, host of the podcast, The Uncommon Leader.
1: My mother-in-law had been in real estate sales in Roanoke, Virginia for about 30 years, and I had this great idea of teaming up with her to take some of the continuous improvement lean methodologies, if you will, into real estate sales.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about John, his coaching work, his podcast, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 152. As always, thanks for listening. I hope that you really like the episode. If you do, please share it with a colleague. Please share it on social media. Thanks. Well, hi, and welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is John Gallagher. He is the founder and CEO of his firm, Growing Champions, LLC. He's an executive coach and a mentor. Uh, he's worked uh, he worked for a consulting firm for a decade after being an operations manager and a division president for two different companies. And John is also the host of a podcast called The Uncommon Leader. So I encourage you to check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast. So John, thanks for being here uh, as a guest today. How are you?
1: Mark. I'm doing well. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to spending the time with you. I've been listening in on a few of the past episodes. So this should be fun. Yeah.
0: And you know, you're you're like me as a as a podcast host. And like I don't Sometimes I put up a post-it note to remind myself, I'm the guest, like so I don't make the mistake of
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean I so often think about that just as it, it is a little different, although you have many more interviews uh from, from that side of the microphone than I do in your experience. I've been listening in to, to learn a lot from you, so I don't have quite as many bad habits to get rid of sitting on this side of being the guest.
0: I'm curious what my bad habits are.
1: <laughs> we all have them.
0: We all, yes, we all do. And I try to not repeat those mistakes over and over again. Like for example, and I'll try not to do this to you today, John. Sometimes I will accidentally combine two or three questions into one when maybe I should just Parcel them out one at a time, so you can, yeah, you can we'll coach me. You can coach sure. me on that. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, so, John, there's all kinds of things we can talk about today, but uh, we like to dive right in. Looking back at the different things that you've done, uh, what what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: My favorite mistake. I've had a, I've had a great time trying to think through this, and I, while I know I have too many probably to choose from, there is one that kind of comes to the top that I've actually used in stories before, and oddly enough, Mark, I was. Had a, a Facebook post pop up from 11 years ago when I wrote something very similar. So, my favorite mistake is kind of hung along as I went through. But during my, as you touched a little bit on my career, I had been in operations where I ran a small fuel transfer company, fuel transfer pump company in Fort Wayne, Indiana for about five years, and then really made a family decision to move back to Roanoke, Virginia, where my wife's family was from. And at the time, it was an opportunity that, for me, I was in an organization that was very successful from a manufacturing standpoint. Our results were good and continuing to grow. And it was something that I was pretty comfortable from a business and career standpoint with the work that I was in. But it was clearly a family decision that we made. So while leaving a successful manufacturing Job as a division president could be seen as a favorite mistake. That actually wasn't the one that I would go forward and talk to. But what I ended up doing was coming back and deciding that I could do some of the skill set that I had in process improvement, continuous improvement, and implement that from manufacturing into real estate sales. And my mother in law had been in real estate sales in Roanoke, Virginia for about 30 years. And I had this great idea of teaming up with her to take some of the continuous improvement lean methodologies. If you will, into real estate sales and talk with her about that, and she seemed to be up for it, so we teamed up and others might say, my favorite mistake would be going into business with my mother-in- law, but that wasn't it as well. Um, like it does, that, that, that
0: could be risky that could have been yeah uh, they, but, that what, what, could I'll definitely
1: see. be risky. Many of the uh, cliches are never do business with family members and things like that, but the fact is, even almost twenty years later, we're still on talking terms and doing really well not in business together anymore but the the really the favorite mistake part of that as I went into business with her was me having the ego of thinking I could change someone to uh, make them kind of follow the management system I had learned to adopt to over the last 15 years that was a continuous improvement methodology and ultimately what that led to for me in trying to change my mother-in-law's behaviors was frustration for me often And really frustration for her, for me asking her to really uh, behave or perform from a business standpoint in areas where it just wasn't her strength. So the mistake for me, ultimately, if you even bring it up to a higher theme, was going into a leadership role and thinking that I could change someone else. I could change their heart. I could change their mind. It just wasn't something that I could do, but it was something that we fought our way through for a few years and actually generated some success. But it took me a couple of years to learn that in the journey as well.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad, John, that you could resolve to the point where you're on speaking terms. That is important.
1: That is important, especially with family. Because, you know, you get, as you say, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That's for sure. So, yeah, we are still family and we're still in uh, good spirits. Absolutely.
0: Well, good. And and it, it seems like, you know, that general advice, whether, you know, different flavors of it, of um, don't go into business with a relative, don't go into business with a good friend, don't loan money to a family member. You know, it seems like you know the the risk is if something goes wrong. Now you really screw up this relationship, um, and and maybe a lot of people go into it thinking like, well, yeah, they say don't do this, but we're going to be successful. So it we'll, be be we'll be different. We'll be different. I guess there are always exceptions to the rule, but sometimes the quote unquote rule is there for a reason. Huh?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And again, I don't even know that it was as much the family as the mistake as it was again me having the ego to say well, you should do things the way I do things and coming forward with that and how it took me a little while to learn and really adapt and adopt to that. And again, whether that happened fifty, almost 20 years ago, it has really informed who I am as a, as a leader today, as a consultant in business that I've done as a coach and coaching others, because the only people who can really choose to change and change their behaviors are those individuals. And all I can really do is model and, and ultimately see what others... Uh, we'll see in the work that I do that they'll want to do that as well. But I, I have to—I had to learn to adjust to that. And there were really there were probably things that slowed us down as a result of that favorite mistake, especially again asking her or asking any individual to work in an area that might be outside of their strength zone, sort of outside, and it can be in a learning zone from a com- comfort zone standpoint. But ultimately, in organizations, it takes a lot of different aptitudes in terms of the business to make it successful. And if you have too many people that are just like you that go through that and think just like you, you're probably going to limit or the lid on your organization is going to be set that you won't exceed the goals that you really could exceed.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would like to dig a little bit into the story of some follow-up questions. But but first off, if, if you could, John, you know, regular listeners will know because of my professional background, um, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe one of every 10 episodes. I'm talking to somebody where this methodology comes up, this, this term lean when we're talking uh, about this style of improvement or this management system, but um, you know, what would be your elevator speech version of, all right, well, so John, what, what is this lean approach? And then maybe in explaining that also, here's where I'm combining two questions. So I'm, I'm being cognizant of that. What's the elevator pitch about what is lean and What did you think the the core application would be in a real estate setting? Why were you excited about that?
1: Well, thanks for asking that, Marcus. Because as I think about lean and how I have learned it, if you will, uh, in manufacturing and then deployed it in manufacturing as a leader at that time, for me, and it still is today in terms of my elevator speech and consulting or coaching as well, but that it was the passionate pursuit of the elimination of waste. And you do that through ultimately looking at the processes that you have, breaking them down into value-added and non-value-added tasks, into those tasks that you really don't need to be doing all the time, but which are those that you need to repeat on a regular basis and make happen. So as I saw it in a real estate setting, again, looking at where some of the strengths of my team member was going to be, I thought there was an opportunity to put systems in place and processes in place that would allow us to scale that business even further. Capitalize on the relationship building that my mother-in-law, Nancy, had already done, but also to systematize that, put it into processes, put it into standard work so that when we had new listings, we had the same 17 steps for marketing a listing that went through. Or if there was a, a buyer that we had and after the contract, what are the 23 steps and what order they have to be done to get that contract closed on time? So it was those processes that she may not have had. That would have allowed the business to be able to be scaled more. And then secondly, is on the other end or on the very end of that is the visual management of that, the scorecard, the keeping score and setting goals for the organization. And I I saw both of those really as an opportunity to succeed in that real estate space where I saw that there was a gap in many of those individuals who were in that business.
0: And so the opportunity and this is one of the challenges of being a coach or a consultant or whatever term we're using you can see the opportunity for things to be better you can see the gap in performance you can see how a different way of doing things could help close that gap in performance but then often the person you're trying to coach might not see the gap that might be they might think their performance is fine and that might be true like you know performance is fine Maybe they don't have the same desire to try to push it to be better. Like, What were some of the change dynamics there? You mentioned earlier that maybe it was just some of the new methods were uncomfortable, but was there, I wonder, a more fundamental issue of where your mother-in-law thought, well, you know, business is fine. I wanted John to help me out, not to reinvent me something like
1: that. No, I think that's, I think you almost answered the question for me in some of the points <laughs> okay. that you made. For it's example, right. I'll just use a yeah. specific examples. No, no, no. I mean, I think it, right. it's just, you, you hit the nail on the head with regards to some of those, but a different one or a specific example I would use. And again, that relates to, to any business, not just real estate or relates to any coaching relationship, not just with your mother-in-law, but would be that I set up visual management inside of the office with ultimately the goals for the month. And I knew we needed a certain number of closings per month to be successful, which is the outcome metric. But I also knew that to do that, we needed a number of touches or a number of contacts that we could have in there to get leads into the funnel to make a difference there. And I started to list those contacts up on the wall on sticky notes and had graphs for our performance in terms of the monthly numbers that we would close in both transactions as well as revenue that would come in. And it just wasn't something that she was interested in, that many people aren't interested in seeing some of the visual management that occurs. And again, I think I realized that it took a while after a while, but it was something that I was able to capitalize on and then learn that how do I continue to capitalize on her strengths, which was the relationship building uh, in the industry. As a salesperson and bringing those leads into the system, she wasn't necessarily as interested in taking those leads all the way through. But you need all of those different business types inside of your business to make things happen. So it was recognizing that that ultimately led to us having more success and ultimately being recognized as one of the top realtor teams in Roanoke in our third year in business. So, which is really good. Yeah.
0: Um, that's, that's a really interesting point. You know, we talk about discovering the opportunity to focus on strengths instead of. Um, problems i think from from our professional background as you you said earlier you used the word waste like we're we're focused on the problem the waste the defect and some people depending on how the, i don't know their experiences or how their brains work sometimes people might say well you're you're being too negative by pointing out these problems <laughs> and i think you you raise a good point there's there's room for both perspectives i think in a successful company
1: Absolutely. One of, the, one of the authors that I read a good deal about, and this is a leadership author, is John Maxwell. And one of the CDs I remember listening to his before podcasting was really cool. He had the CD club and then the tape club before that. But he talked about the four aptitudes of a leader and that each organization, each team needed all four aptitudes. He talked about strategic as an aptitude. He talked about operational as an aptitude talked about the vision casting or directing in the organization as well. And then that fourth aptitude being the the team building type aptitude as well. And so again, I went in there very much with an operational mindset that was going to fix this visual management, new processes and things like that going forward. But the aptitude that I missed was that team building, that relationship building uh, that my team member capitalized on and did really well with and, and I got myself too focused on the operational side early on in that journey.
0: Yeah. And it seems like there is another opportunity for balance is looking at process versus personalization of service. So I've run run across this in healthcare, as I'm I'm sure you have, John, where like what you were describing for real estate, you could look at a surgical procedure and say, well, here are the 23 things that have to happen in advance in the sequence to help ensure that there are no mix-ups or uh, errors and things that should happen after the surgery, but you you would get pushback of somebody saying, "Well, every patient is unique." Like, well, to an extent, that's not true, but in some ways, it is. And and I think when uh, a lot of times people in healthcare hear about process or standardization, mm-hmm. I hear pushback. Uh, Boy, there are a lot of people in the software world that don't like the word process, but I think they fear like that'll be taken to an extreme in a way that would prevent them from responding appropriately to the needs of a particular patient. I wonder if there's, I I would expect there's almost a similar dynamic, maybe in real estate where someone would say, look, every client is unique. Every home sale is unique. How how did you work out that balance between process and personalization?
1: No, I think you make a, a phenomenal point. And certainly in healthcare, it is there, right? I mean, you have an industry with highly trained and educated individuals and you go in there and ask them to standardize some of those things it becomes hard to convince others. Look, you have someone that's been in real estate for 30 years and ask them to go in and standardize some of the things that they've done. It's going to be hard to get them to really buy into that as well. So part of that as we go forward, the relationship component of consulting or coaching regardless of the industry is that you know rather than trying to drive That vision forward really fast with regards to implementing new processes or implementing standardization, as you talked about, but rather getting those people to buy into you first, whether it's the customer or whether it's a team member, that they will buy into you as a person, then they'll learn to trust you more, and you have a better chance of making that influence again and modeling to get them to change. And and I do agree that people would say in real estate, there are buyers that are different uh, across the industry, and there are different. Segments, no doubt about it. Just like there are different elements or specialties in healthcare, there are different types of buyers uh, in real estate as well. And you have to be aware of those as an individual that works in that business and really change or uh, update your standard to support the relationship building. But it doesn't mean that each time you sell a house, there still has to be a termite inspection. There still has to be a home inspection. There still has to be a disclosure statement. There still has to be a loan application generally, all those things need to be done so that you have the time to be the empathetic doctor you need to be, or the empathetic real estate agent, or the empathetic leader you need to be in organization. Leader standard work. I know you've written about it before. What are the things that leaders need to do on a daily and weekly and monthly basis to be successful? And Anytime you talk about having them document their daily or weekly standard work, there's a sense that, they feel, uh, many leaders will feel you're trying to take away my creativity when you do that. And it's absolutely not. I mean, as we go forward, it really is about standardizing the things that can be standardized so that you can be creative when you need to be creative. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and to what level do we standardize? I'm just thinking back to a few years ago, my wife and I bought a condo and uh, in Florida. Um, we moved there for her job. The realtor was great. This, is probably, this was probably a standard practice for him. After we closed and we got to our place and we opened the refrigerator, there was a surprise. There was a bottle of champagne, a pretty nice mm-hmm. bottle of champagne in the refrigerator. And we thought that was a really nice touch. And we, really, we, we, we happily consumed it. That was a good fit for us. But I could see where if, if his thing was, I always give my home buyers a bottle of champagne, there were going to be some homebuyers, for whatever reason, don't drink. That's right. And wouldn't necessarily appreciate the gesture. So I'd be curious if I don't remember if he learned about enough about us to understand if that would be a nice gesture, right? So does he standardize on, I always give a bottle of champagne, or I always leave some nice surprise as a home warming gift. You could standardize that a couple different ways, right?
1: Sure. But to your point, how are you standardizing the relationship building component to determine if they even drink? right? In terms of they going forward with that so that they, when you give them a bottle of alcohol for a gift, they don't actually get somewhat offended because you didn't know that they didn't drink. So it's, I mean, it can be a risk, no doubt about it, but ultimately that's where some of the after gap analysis comes into play as well, right? You learn through some of the mistakes, unfortunately in healthcare, you learn through making mistakes. You hope that they're not mistakes that result in death, but they do and how what is your reflection process what is your continuous improvement process that allows you to go back and update your standard to put some to put a question like that in place that says i normally give a gift at the end just wanted to see if uh, an, a, a gift of alcohol would be uh, something that would uh, be something you would appreciate but you're right i mean it's it's also that continuous improvement loop of learning that you must do to continuously update that standard
0: yeah i like that point you made about Having some steps and being proactive and understanding enough about the person who's buying the home, um, so that they, you know they could learn proactively. Because let's say they they gave the bottle of champagne to somebody and they were upset on some level, but they didn't say anything. You don't have that feedback. That's right.
1: Loop. You don't have the feedback loop.
0: And uh, so I think there there are a lot of lessons to be learned. I, I really like the way you put that about standardizing some of the relationship building.
1: Well, I think at the end, look, that relationship building is so important on the front end. The relationship building, whether it's the again the questions that you ask to learn what the real problem is, or in the case of real estate, what their real want is. And again, my my mother in law had a phenomenal way of getting someone, getting a buyer in a car, driving them around for an hour, having them tell her what they wanted at the start, and by the end of that conversation, she actually had you know really nailed down exactly what they did want based on listening to them, based on asking them questions where they lived, what age their kids were, what sports they were engaged in, all those different things that would allow her to get it ready. Was it standard for her? No. Would I have tried to get it where she had a sticky note on the front of her windshield to get that done? I might have if I not would not have learned properly and said, no, she just knows how to do it. Let yeah. her get that part done.
0: Yeah. But if she was bringing a young, inexperienced um, realtor or agent into the business, then something like that might have been useful as a training mm-hmm. sure. guide. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a you know,
1: so- couple of things that I keep going back to is, as, I talk and listen through, and even in healthcare, you know, it was tool Gawande's checklist manifesto and, and even the, the powerful, uh, TEDx video that he's done with regards to standardization, how he was a surgeon. The other thing he did, you touched on this is he brought someone else in to observe him what he was doing to learn and improve. So it's not only about how we do things in a standard way, but but you said that it's the feedback that we get as well. What did we do well and what could we do better uh, to continuously improve? There's the spirit of lean, if you will, again, of continuous improvement and uh, the humility of a leader like Atul Gawande, specialist surgeon that he was, that was always looking to get better at what he did. And he believed in checklists. Standards. So I think,
0: Yes. Well, so and I think, you know, my, my attempt at summarizing some of what you've said here is that standardized doesn't mean inflexible and standardized doesn't mean permanent.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Standard work, is, which is standardized, is the best way we know how to do it today. That's not the best way necessarily we know how to do it tomorrow. You're exactly right. Yeah.
0: So I want to, I mean, before we talk about your podcast and some of the leadership coaching that you do, John, one other question looking back for reflection, when you talk about being a a consultant, a coach, a son-in-law, you're in a position of having to influence or convince, or you're in a position of leading without authority. When you were a company division president, I mean, were there times where whether you were intending to or not, you could sort of get away with telling people what to do? And if you were put back into a role like that today, Would you operate differently based on what you've learned being a coach and consultant?
1: Well, I think there's no doubt if I were put back into an operations role today, I would behave differently. Hopefully I've grown uh, in that years. Again, learning from some of these quote favorite mistakes as I've gone through and even through learning as a consultant and observing other leaders through this journey, other chief executives and C-suite members, as well as frontline leaders who have challenges and making continuous improvement that I've made improvements there. Going back to the first part of your question really about, you know, was there sort of a uh, belief, if you will, that I could tell others what to do with regards to positional leadership? Probably, especially early on in my leadership journey, I don't know that I could recall a specific time as I go through that, but I do know absolutely of, of times where people would give me feedback if I was doing that and how I could make continuous improvement. You know, we go through different levels of leadership. Another John Maxwell book, The Five Levels of Leadership. And just because we're given a position, you know, doesn't necessarily give us the influence we need to take someone where they wouldn't go on their own as a great leader. You get to level five leadership in terms of making a difference and leaving a legacy by going through those phases of the journey. You start off as the boss, if you will, but you have to build relationships. You have to build competence. You have to build decision-making capabilities That allow you to earn your way up on those levels of leadership. And again, I think through my continuous learning myself, I hope that I would always be kind of prepared, if you will, for another operational role like that. And, you know, not while I don't have the plans to do that in my future, I also didn't have the plans to be a consultant for the last 12 years as well. And it's worked out. It's been something that I've truly enjoyed and learning how to do that. And I think we've talked on a previous podcast about the difference in telling somebody what to do versus taking them there or guiding them there so that they discover what the right way is to do it as well.
0: Yeah. And and that podcast John's referring to, that was in uh, an older ongoing podcast series that I've uh, that I do called lean blog interviews. And I'll, I'll put a link to that one in uh, the show notes. Uh, I don't have the episode number handy, but um, I'll, I'll put that uh, in there for if people want to click through and, and, and listen to that as well. Um, so now your podcast, John, I want to ask you about this. It's called the Uncommon Leader. Uh, why, why is that theme important to you? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about um, you know what your podcast is about.
1: Sure. Well, if I look at the the company that I started just a little bit over a year ago, called Growing Champions, you know, one of the things that was pretty important to me from a purpose standpoint was really less about process, less about approach like lean, and more about a, a passionate uh, desire to help leaders grow other leaders. I mean, we're in a space that requires, and I tell them when I say a space, our communities, our our churches, our uh, country, our world, that is void of leadership at this point in time. And I'm not making a political statement when I talk about that. I'm talking about the need for individuals who with integrity and character can lead uh, people to different places that they wouldn't go on their own. So the purpose of Growing champions is to grow champions who grow other champions. The uncommon approach that comes into that, an uncommon word, is that to do that, that work cannot be done by a common leader. It's going to take extraordinary effort, but also extraordinary character and integrity to get others to follow you to a place that you wouldn't go on your own. The uncommon is when you can take something ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary. The the word really came from a, a book that I read that I've read another book that I've read from Tony Dungy, The Uncommon Life, uh, which was uh, very influential on me in terms of what he talked about, and he had coaches in his past that had influenced him, and I wanted to be you know, an influencer like that. So the and the Uncommon Leader is an opportunity for me to interview other leaders in industry, in healthcare. Uh, today I interviewed a, a basketball coach who's also a high school teacher, and he won a state championship just two years ago. So it gives me an opportunity to talk to people on many levels who are uncommon leaders because of the character and integrity that they have. Um, another one that you and I have done recently is I've had you, Mark, on that on that podcast as well. It's been one of the more popular downloaded episodes. You can put that link in there as well. But that was one that was pretty powerful too. So it's a chance for me to have conversation with other leaders. And the experiences they have uh, to, but you know, whether they had mistakes that they learned from, uh, but also how they've ultimately grown and grown others.
0: Yeah. So, our guest, John Gallagher, his website is coachjohngallagher.com. Tony Dungy was uh, a football coach. He's now a commentator on uh, NBC, but it's interesting mm-hmm. to look for parallels or lessons from coaching sports into coaching uh, in a business. Absolutely. Well, coaching, I
1: mean, sports was a big part of uh, me growing up. Coaches that I had had influence on me, both in a positive and, and a negative way. And again, you learn from leaders who do things not to do things or learn how to not do things as well, as much as you do from positive examples and role models that you have in your life. So that's had, that's been a big influence on me in my career and my growth, and it continues to be. I relate to sports pretty well. Yeah.
0: So one other question about the uncommon leader, the podcast, and, and that phrase and that focus. Earlier, when you were talking about your mother in law, you brought up the idea of, or we, we talked about um, enhancing strengths versus solving problems or weaknesses. Is, how often do you think the uncommon leader is uncommon because they're avoiding mistakes or leadership problems versus they're just really good at elements of leadership that make them uncommon?
1: Sure. Well, I think there has to be a competence, no doubt about it, in terms of leadership and the skills that you have. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to know everything that goes on, but the uncommon really requires a humility that doesn't exist. Being okay with making some mistakes as you talk about your favorite mistake and not hiding those mistakes, being able to talk about those, being able to admit when you were wrong. Um, I believe that many people. Will appreciate and will honor when you can be in front of them and and let them know that I made a mistake and I won't I won't do that again. But I learned from it. And to a certain extent, when you apologize uh, and you ask for forgiveness in that space, that's the uncommon that that doesn't exist in the where I talk about the leadership void that's out there today. So difficult for leaders that are in the public to. Admit when they've made mistakes and take responsibility for those decisions or mistakes that they've made. So that's where the uncommon comes in. I don't know that it's a, a skill as much as it is a character trait of humility, uh, a character trait of again understanding that integrity and being forward with individuals is something that is required for you to grow as a leader and to grow others to influence others.
0: That. You beat me to the punch, but yeah, I was going to say, so I'll just agree with you. A leader admitting that they were wrong, that they made a mistake, that that is uh, sadly too uncommon. We see sometimes might be the coach of your favorite team who is stubborn about something and won't admit that they made a mistake, um, or an elected leader or a business leader. Um, I, I think it's a sign of strength to admit you've made a mistake, but it, gosh, it seems like people... F- people feel like they're going to get punished for admitting that, or that they're going to be seen as weak. And I, that's, that's unfortunate.
1: Well, and that's where the uncommon is right, Mark. I mean, that's what makes it uncommon is that those leaders who can be okay with admitting mistakes because it's so uncommon in today's world are the ones that have the power to, to really have that big influence. And I, I, in my coach, in my coaching I talk about success coaching and you kind of asked about that. You know, one of the first things I have each of my individual clients do is write what I refer to as the greatest story ever told. And that, that greatest story ever told is one that, you know, if you're Mark, if you're asked by someone or if, if someone you've coached before is in a room and you're not there and they're asked uh, to to name five people who have had a positive impact on their life, that those individuals who will write your name on that list while you'll you may never know about it. But when you've been able to have that influence on somebody where they write your name on their list, that's the greatest story ever told. That's legacy. That's where you start to be uncommon in your approach. And there aren't many people that have pride that weren't willing to admit mistakes that may have been able to succeed in one definition of success or another, are going to end up on lists like that in terms of having a difference in somebody else's life. That's the uncommon.
0: Well, I think the uncommon leader is an uncommon podcast in a good way that people will uh, enjoy the message and, and the guests and, and what you bring to it as a host, John. Um, the final question I was going to ask you, you know, earlier you talked about the need to lead by example. Um, so I agree with you. Leaders who are willing to admit a mistake, I think, give permission for people in their organization to admit mistakes. But what like, what else would you advise a leader to do if they wanted to create an environment where people felt safe to speak up? Not that making mistakes is great, but you got to learn from them, right? You know, so find this sure. balance of like, you don't have carte blanche to be reckless. Nobody's encouraging that. But being open and not being afraid to bring these things up, What what can leaders do?
1: Sure. Well, you know, let me give you a different approach when you, and you talked about feedback before, right? So how it's one thing to admit when you've made mistakes, it's another thing to actually bring people in and ask them for feedback and if you're able to create that safe environment where you can accept that feedback. And I'll use an I'll I'll talk about an approach that I've used before both for me as a leader when I was in an operational leadership role and how I coach others. That one of the best things they can do especially if they feel that they're losing a little bit of voice or losing a bit of influence with their team is to invite them in to you can call it open office hours or whatever it is but really invite them in and ask them three specific questions. Can you tell me what you think it is about my leadership that I need to keep doing? Can you tell me what it is that I need to start doing? And you can can you tell me what it is that I need to stop doing? Now, back to your question about creating the environment, if you've already been uh, a leader who's not stable, who is known to fly off the handle and respond negatively to anything that pops up that gives you a challenge, you're probably not going to be able to do this effectively. But if you're able to do this with integrity and really write down what those individuals say, and that you're able to not explain your actions in that meeting, but show potential behavioral changes that exist within that. And I I mean, I know there's a specific coaching example of an individual that I had recently where she implemented this with her team. And she's had five people come in and this resulted in her changing her standard work from a leadership perspective dramatically with regards to how she deals with her team and positive. So one is to be able to ask for that feedback and be okay receiving feedback. Because the fact is, look, if you think you have a weakness, but you don't want them to know, you don't want your team to know, they already know. They just, if you haven't given them an open environment, they're not going to come and tell you. So you have to give them an open environment. So asking for that feedback is one of the ways to do that. Certainly the second way, and we talk about this in, in lean all the time, is going out into the workplace, out into the gimbal, and we'll refer to it from a lean standpoint. But in a virtual world, that's a little bit challenging. So we've got to conduct that from a visual standpoint once in a while with Zoom meetings or Microsoft Teams meetings, whatever that is. But getting out and talking to individuals. And not talking about work, but asking them how they're doing in their life. What do you know about the, the team members that work for you? Do you know what their kids' names are? Do you know if their parents are having challenges? And again, you know, so that you can show empathy toward those individuals. Not sympathy, but empathy uh, to those individuals and understand what they're going through. So that's two ways really to get out and talk with people. And the last question I often coach leaders to ask when they're in the workplace talking to people is, how can I help? how can I help you when, when, when you're dealing with this, whether it's a work challenge or some other challenge and I'll see what I can do to be able to help you out. And then the second is to ask directly for feedback, not in a, in a survey on a computer, but, but call them in and chat with them one-on-one face-to-face and go forward with that.
0: So. There's a common, a lot of great advice there. There's a common theme of build feedback loops, be humble Absolutely. And, and take that feedback and adjust and, Learn and get better. That's what my favorite mistake is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, not beating ourselves up for the things we've done, but learning from them and moving forward in a better way. So that comes through very strongly uh, in, in you and your work, John. So thank you for sharing all of that with us here today.
1: No, I appreciate it, Mark. Enjoyed the time.
0: Yeah, me too. Our guest again has been John Gallagher. You can find his website. You can learn more about the leadership coaching work that he does at coach John Gallagher com And again, his podcast, I encourage you to go and check it out, is The Uncommon Leader. And I'll make sure there are links to all of that in the show notes. So, John, thanks again. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Mark. Well, thanks again to John Gallagher for being our guest today. To learn more, to connect with him, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 152. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, podcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.